Okay, welcome to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven, and today I've got some brilliant guests from the great state of Wisconsin in the United States. I've got Matt Joy, who's the Criminal Investigations Director for the state of Wisconsin, amongst several other titles, which we'll come to in a minute. And I've also got Dana Miller, who is the uh, uh, the professional policy an analyst for the state of Wisconsin as well, on a civilian role working on the same program, the uh, Internet Crimes Against Children program. So both of you, you're ever so welcome. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. Uh, happy to be here. Oh, okay. great. Thanks. Now, we kind of agreed, and I think people would like to hear, I don't know, either of you going first, just give us a few minutes about what your own history has been and how you got to doing what you're doing today. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate that opportunity. So, Dana, why don't you kick it off for us today? Okay. Um, (laughs) So, I have been with the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force in Wisconsin for about, well, a little over six years now. And I had, um, I did not have a straightforward path there, as a lot of people say when they're in their careers, I think. I came to this from um, uh, post-secondary education. So I was um, teaching and I was working with online education um, at a, a college near us. And before that, I had worked with um sexual assault victims. And primarily, I tended to work with child sexual assault victims. And a big part of what we did with that was, of course, online safety and making sure that that was a part of the the safety planning that we did with victims. Um, So as I, you know, as I worked through that, and I went back to school, and I got my master's degree, and I focused on victim services um, went into this teaching role and I wanted to continue with the educational piece while also working towards safety. All of that really wrapped up very nicely for me to um, to start in this role with, with Internet Crimes Against Children. So long story short, that's how I got where I am. Was it just a, a particular interest, always been an interest of you or had you come across events in your life that kind of thought I must do some work protecting children or was it just come upon unexpectedly that this was something you found an interest in? It's really been unexpected for me. Um, It's, you know, I've always had an interest in social justice and wanting to do the right thing and wanting to help others. Um, And I've always had an interest in, in, trying to do prevention and education work around just a broader topic of safety. Um, And I think when I fell into this role, it it worked very well for me because it's a, it's such a vulnerable population. And I grew up without technology, without, or not without technology, of course, but without the internet um, for part of my childhood and then had to kind of learn it. And so I think, you know, it's a it's a unique perspective to be able to say, I see some of the things that our kids are growing up with, and um, you know the the great benefits of technology, but they also need to have this safety information uh, taught to them that that we've sort of taken for granted over the years, right? If 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 we had to learn it as we went, 
So oh, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like um, the internet is not the problem itself. I mean, the internet is just like an empty room. It's the people and the things that populate it that make it dangerous or make it very good. It depends, you know, who who's populating the room, doesn't it? Yes, it's the behavior, not the app. Yes. Okay. Um, do you want to? Do you want to? We'll come back to you in a sec, obviously, Donna. But I mean, I wondered if Matt would like to give us a brief kind of run through how you came to be where you are. Yeah, absolutely, David. And I, I certainly don't want to bore your audience, so I'll, I, I'll try to keep it brief. No, but as I'm, we can't do as that. I'm, no, we don't. We don't <laughs> pick boring guests, Matt. So you're all right. You're all right. Well, there's always a first, David. Um, no, but to be honest with you, it's been, it's been a long time since anybody's asked me that question. So. Um, I'm going to go uh, jump into the Wayback Machine here a bit and talk about my decision to get into policing or public safety. Um, yeah, probably a story that's similar to many who make that decision. Um, I had a, a relative who I really admired and looked up to. He was my uncle, and he was a law enforcement officer, a police officer in a suburban Chicago community. And I always just admired his path and admired him and um, kind of his informal leadership with me as a, as his nephew. And um, I, I just really respected him and, and what he did. And I thought that that might be a, a path I would would be interested in pursuing. And so I did, uh, when I went to college, I took uh, many courses in kind of public safety related topics, criminal justice, courts, corrections, policing, uh, considered law school, and ultimately, when kind of things uh, came to be, and I needed to make a decision, I decided that um, an investigative path was, you know, very intriguing and interesting to me. And so I just started putting my resume and applications out across the country, mm-hmm. and was fortunate enough. I was from Wisconsin, and was fortunate enough that an agency here in Wisconsin took a chance on a young college graduate uh, to fill a role as a uh, drug enforcement agent or officer here in Wisconsin. And so I spent several years investigating controlled substance violations, uh, you know, cocaine, marijuana, methamphetamine distribution, mm-hmm. primarily in southeastern Wisconsin, which is the Milwaukee area, which is our largest city in this state, um, you know, a million or so folks living in that area. Uh, well over a million in the greater area. Um, so I was as busy. I enjoyed it. Uh, f- enjoyed helping people, trying to get folks out of these situations that they found themselves in, um, addiction, etc. And did that for probably, oh gosh, David, it was about 1999 until about 2008. So I guess just shy of a decade, maybe eight years or so. And an opportunity came in my organization uh, for a new role. We were starting or or just starting to expand. um, And this is 2008. We were just expanding our Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force program. Up until 2008, we had three investigators in in my organization, uh, which has, just to give you kind of an idea, we have about a hundred investigators. Okay. So 2008, we had three investigators who were focusing primarily on technology facilitated crimes against children that are sexually motivated crimes. Yeah. 
uh, as we expanded our footprint to five investigators in 2008. And I was fortunate that one of those new vacancies was going to be housed in the office where I worked. And at the time I, I had, I had, um, I had moved to a different office in our state. I was up near, you may have heard of Green Bay, Wisconsin. There's a little football team in that town that a couple of folks have heard of. Um, So I was up near, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was up in the Green Bay area and um, this, this new position came to be. And I was at the time, to be perfectly honest, was probably more interested in in moving away from drug enforcement and into something new than, than child exploitation, you know, than being drawn towards that field of work. I didn't really know anything about it. Uh, didn't know the extent to which it existed, hadn't closely, you know, followed it. And uh, so I did apply and was accepted for the, the, the transfer into this new role. And I'll tell you, David, that literally within the first week, two weeks of my new assignment, I, um, my mind uh, was blown, I guess is the way to say it. I was, I was forever changed. And yeah. I, I, I recognized that, that this, um, this was my calling. This was my passion. This is what I wanted to do. And to the opportunity to help folks who are in, in real need, um, you know, to, to, to learn more about the evolving and changing tech world of technology. And I will tell you that in, since 2008, I mean, it is just, it has changed dramatically and that wasn't that long ago. No. So, uh, so I was able to spend about, so gosh, six or seven years as an investigator. And then I, I promoted, I became a supervisor and I was supervising the investigations and now I am very lucky. I, David, I have the best job in the world, really. And, you know, uh, not just the country, the world. Um, I get to work with a dedicated team of professionals across this state, across this country, who focus their efforts on investigating these, these horrific crimes, um, holding folks accountable for these horrific acts, and helping families and victims who you know, want to move forward and we, we help them do that. And, um, so I'm currently the, the ICAC, so ICAC internet crimes against children task force commander for the state of Wisconsin, uh, which includes folks in our organization, the, the organization that Dana and I work with, it's the Wisconsin department of justice. So our team here at Wisconsin DOJ, as well as investigators and prosecutors from law enforcement agencies, uh, district attorneys or prosecutorial offices, federal law enforcement, tribal law enforcement. Um, uh, we have partners, community outreach partners who, you know, help spread the word about internet safety. And um, it's just, it's just really a, a, a great thing to be a part of that. I, I get to work with so many folks who are, are dedicated to this. And so I've been in this capacity since 2014. And uh, we're just trying to do great things on the investigative side. We're trying to do great things on the legislative side, policy side, outreach. Uh, oh, a great services. opportunity to make a difference now. It, it is. It really is, David. And so I appreciate that we've been able to connect. And that's 
that's a big part of this is just building relationships, mm-hmm. connecting with folks, sharing mm-hmm. information, talking about it, and putting people in a place where I was not in 2008, where I, I, you know, my head was in the sand or I was just oblivious to this, um, really just trying to, to make an effort to let folks know about, about this, this issue, this problem, and just give everybody the information that they can be, you know, best positioned and best prepared to, to you know, have that awareness and, and respond. But if it had been easy, then, you know, it would have been totally different. I mean, you know, we all know it's one of the most difficult, insidious and and deeply challenging um, uh, subjects of criminal activity that the world has to deal with, more or less, you know. And and so, you know, there's nothing easy about it, Um, you know. So, I mean, I, I think everybody would accept that and... So your road to Damascus, if you like, or your aha moment coming in whenever it was, you said 2008 or whatever, you know, well, it was good that it came because not everybody gets a chance to sort of realize something that they really get passionate about. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's a great way of putting it, David. For me, it was that. And, uh, you know, and here I am, um, I guess, 12 or so Mm. years. My math is not good, but it's been, you know, a a period of time and that I'm, this is where I want to be. And this is, this is what, what fuels me. And yeah, agreed. Well, look, I mean, sh- shall I say for the sake of, of our other one, I mean, a little bit about my, my road to, to, to this as well, if that would be helpful. Please. Please that would be great. Um, well, in a, in a funny and sort of slightly sort of savage irony, it was because of the United States of America uh, for me, because I never, uh, when I left school, I, I kind of, unfortunately, I mean, this lovely, soft-spoken gentleman that you're talking to, you'd never believe was a bit of a teenage rebel, but there it was. And I kind of decided that I got very angry with the world for all sorts of reasons. And at the age of 18, I jumped on an airplane and flew to New York. Um where I had got uh, got myself a, a job, initially a summer job, working in Harlem and Bedford-Stuyvesant districts of New York with kids. Um, and, you know, it was one of these summer camp things that started out as taking groups of age, different age children out to upstate New York to, to live um, as, um, well, Native American, essentially. And I was one of the, the few Europeans that was part of it. But for a very young, naive Scottish guy who hadn't really had a huge exposure to the world, I grew up 10 years in 10 months um, because all my co-counselors were returning Vietnam veterans. This was 1971. And unfortunately, sadly, as you probably are all aware, they were very, very screwed up uh, guys. Um, who had all sorts of problems, um, addictions being one of them, um, apart from mental health issues. And goodness knows how they were put in charge of children. But there you go. That was 1971 for you. Um, anyway, I, in seeing the needs of the kids that were coming out of the city there, who had never been out of the city in their lives before and coming from some of the most deprived parts of the city, um, it opened my eyes to children 
uh, and children's needs. Uh, something I'd never thought about before. I was escaping. I was escaping in my teenage sort of escape suit. Um, but effectively, it sort of made me stop still and think about what I wanted to do in the future anyway. So I came back to the UK and I got, I was lucky, I got a job as the Scottish youth organizer for a charity called Shelter. It was a campaign for the homeless. So I worked in, in Scotland for that. And then I went all sorts of other things down to London. After a few years, I got a job as a, a, a social worker in uh, working with homeless families. And my employer sent me to get fully qualified at college. And so that's how I got qualified. After that, worked um, with child protection, various teams in London for about oh, six or seven years, and then moved to the West Country. And I got involved then in the Professional Association of Social Workers, held a whole load of different positions within the national organization, and eventually was elected the national chair. You, you call it the president in the United States. We, we just call it the chair. Um, but that position catapulted me into politics and into national politics, working with government and um, all the other professional bodies that we, you and I, touch every day, you know, whether it's health or education or um, law enforcement. And uh, I did a lot of work uh, in, in helping shape some of the, the legislation here, uh, working with people in the House of Lords at the time and um, went to various placements in various places like Sri Lanka and Thailand, working with the Interpol groups there and um, was very fortunate to be able to influence a little bit in Sri Lanka because it was all to do with sex tourism, which you'll be well aware was a huge problem, still is quite a huge problem in various parts of the world and the Pacific Rim especially. So um, that brought me back and I've done all sorts of various things since, but a lot of the stuff I now do is it's to do with media because uh, having been catapulted into that position, I was forced to take a position talking on radio and television a lot, all about child protection and social work. And so effectively um, I learned a lot uh, <laughs> with very little training, but now I actually do offer that as training and hence the fact that I grew to love podcasting and that's where we are with a whole load of other stops in between which I'm sure you Dana and you Matt have also had lots of stops in between we haven't been able to talk about yet. I, I got a great sense of what you do because we all are roughly in the same kind of line of work we we kind of know the, the basic skeleton of challenges and, and the problems that come with it and what we're investigating but it the scope is just enormous and I, I'm assuming that it's the same for you as it is in the UK such as the fact that there aren't enough for example on the criminal side on the law enforcement side there aren't enough law enforcement officers to take care of the literally tens of thousands of uh, mainly men who are sitting up in their bedrooms downloading child pornography um, and you know and um, therefore needing to be interrupted um, is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I would say that um, right now in, in the year 2020, that, that, that's correct. I, um, well, the task force, I'll take from the task force perspective, mm. um, 
was created about 20 or over 20 years ago, late 1990s. And at that time, much of the work was uh, what we refer to as online chat or undercover kinds of operations. This is the old AOL Yahoo chat days where law enforcement personnel would pose as children engage in conversations using those various chat applications, you know, all on desktop computers. Mm -hmm. There was no mobile technology or mobile devices at that time. And a lot of the work was, you know, proactive. We call that proactive where the law enforcement is out kind of trying to make an assessment or identify folks proactively who are engaged in this activivity, and now what we see, and you know, as times have changed, you're right, David. That there's just the the, the volume as we learn more and more about this. Um, we're we are largely reactive, where we we are getting information from service providers, from parents, you know, educators, folks that are becoming aware of this. We're trying to respond to things that are coming our way, and the volume of that is such that we we can't keep pace. I mean, that's the reality. Yeah. We can't keep pace with that. So to be proactive and out there trying to actively find and identify folks, I mean, it's just, it's, it's extremely difficult. So yeah, it's, yeah. The, the, it's, you're right. And not only the, not only the volume of, of um, suspects versus our, our resources and our investigator numbers, but also there's the advancing technology and the number of devices the amount of storage, the number of apps, um, and then you know, on the legal side of things, not being able to have our laws catch up with technology fast yeah. enough. So yeah. it's all yeah. kind of a package deal that we that we're dealing with here too. No, it's I, I totally get it, Donna. I mean, and, and I'm guessing you have similar problems too that will ebb and flow a bit. But if if um, say for example somebody's identified as grooming a child or identified as having downloaded some stuff and law enforcement make a, a raid and seize um, hardware um, it, it'll take some time to have that processed and to, for that to be examined forensically even and so in the meantime the person is probably bailed several times I don't know you know in terms of waiting for some things to happen because there are only just so many people who are actually tasked to examine that, that hardware um, and, and decisions have to be made about the severity of it and so on uh, and so the whole workload piles up and at the same time as as more and more and more is discovered uh, is, that, is that a fair assumption? Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things that we talk about in, in terms of that from the child side of things and the safety side of things is, um, you know, we'll talk to children about recognizing red flags of, of grooming and manipulative behavior, like you're mentioning, and the idea that even if they catch those red flags, and we really, really hope that they do, another child might not be aware of those red flags. And so we try to teach them to also teach their peers and, you know, make it kind of a, a safety culture um, among that young age group. Well, the Safer Schools app that this, the group I work with, Unique, that have developed is, is quite um, um, an innovative program. I think it'd be worth having a look at that, but it probably contains an awful lot of the things that you're well aware of um, in, in terms of actually training, awareness raising, red flags as you say as as well as actually somewhere where young people can be um educated more about the whole dangerous of the subject 
But it seems to me that leadership is terribly important in this world, in this subject. And there aren't possibly enough leaders um, taking things on and, and governments. I don't know what Wisconsin's like, uh, but all nationally in, in Europe, governments need to be, in my view, much more muscular about this. And they need imaginative work with the online industry. There are so many online platforms that, you know, that, that really need, that are, in my view, they don't care enough about it because all they do tend to care about is the dollar in many respects. And, and that's where we need to focus is actually if they're going to lose dollars, then they'll become our friend. Would you, <laughs> would you say that's fair? Yeah, one of the, the big issues here in the United States is something that's referred to as lawful access. So, so the ability for, we'll say, law enforcement to obtain information from either service providers or, or devices, as you were referring to, one of our issues with device technology, um, as you know, there many are encrypted. So the data on the device is encrypted. They have, they require biometrics or, you know, a unique pin code to unlock and the technologies that we have purchased to help us access information on devices may not be able to bypass those those uh, pin codes, etc. And so, with the service providers or the the technology providers are informing law enforcement that they can't even bypass that and have no way of accessing the data. Um, so that's one issue. But then also issues of encryption through a lot of popular chat applications. Um, you know, and Facebook was one, this is pretty public, so I'm not, you know, I'm not disclosing anything that isn't very, or, or, you know, readily or widely available. Uh, Facebook has been con contemplating fully end to end encryption on their uh, mm. Facebook messenger application. Mm. Um, we get a lot of information from Facebook and Facebook messenger regarding people who are using that technology to exploit children. And if that application goes fully encrypted, we're going to lose that information. Facebook won't even have the ability to see that information. Um, so again, as you suggested, these are business decisions. Facebook mm -hmm. and other companies are businesses. And, you know, I um, understand that. And so our, our government is trying to find a way to, to have this information made available to law enforcement. Is there a key that Facebook could have that, you know, with a court order or other lawfully, you know, as we're calling it lawful access with a lawfully obtained magistrate court official document requiring that information to be made available that, and I don't want to pick on Facebook here. So I, I'm not, I'm not trying to, but I'll I say Facebook uh, so that the Facebooks of the world um, service providers can have access to that information and make it available to law enforcement when we're doing criminal investigations. No, so yeah, that is a, that is a big topic right now here in the United States. Images. I mean, I, I don't know. There are some advances going on because it's always said to me that I, I, I've always recognized the fact that law enforcement to a large extent sometimes does manage to keep up, just keep up with criminal behavior, but, you know, looking at kind of organized crime um, and child pornography, etc. But the identification of children and the identification of locations where children are being abused uh, isn't really keeping up 
in that respect. And I, I, it always struck me that many, many millions of pounds, dollars, whatever, still needs to be spent on software um, creativity where you can actually begin to identify where children are from pictures because it's, it's all very well saying, look, this man has got a pic pictures of a child you know, being abused, so we'll prosecute him. But of course, there's still the child. We don't know if that child is still being abused in that location. Um, I, I don't know if you've come across any kind of real cutting edge uh, innovations in that respect. Yeah, there's there's um, some work being done because we've got a lot of, of great organizations <laughs> that are working hard on this issue. And I'll just say as examples, mm -hmm. uh, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, mm -hmm. the Federal Federal Bureau of Investigation. Um, there's a, a group referred to as Project VIC. Um, that you could do some uh, research or looking into. Project Vic is kind of a collaborative effort as well. And they've all got, uh, all these groups have sort of these repositories or databases. And right now we're trying to figure out, and I say we, I'm not really a part of it, but we law enforcement in the, you know, in the United States and you know, public and private partnerships are trying to find a way to, to take all of this information from all of these great organizations. And how do we put this together in a, in a more meaningful way, right. more useful way? Because you're right, that, that's the question that's out there is we've got these images, we've got these videos, these files. There are clues, there are pieces of information, there could be metadata, EXIF data that's, that's housed within here. How do, we, how do we piece this together and um, make it useful to, so that we can, you know, locate children that are No, that are no, for there? sure. Matt, I take your point entirely. I mean, I, I don't know if you wanted to add anything, Donna, but from over here, Europol, I know, do, do a lot of work on this kind of thing. But do, do, would you generally both say that, that collaboration is pretty good across the world? Um, I think that there's a desire for it. I think all of the programs Matt was mentioning are, they're fantastic programs in the US. They're very similar, I think, to the um, International Child Sexual Exploitation Database that Interpol houses and, and does analysis work on. But I don't think that we, I don't think we've found a way to do as much collaborative work worldwide as, as we could. I know that you've talked with, um, I was listening to your podcast with Jim Gamble and you guys mm. were talking about this, you know, this idea of a virtual global task force at one point and the importance mm. of that and uh, kind of a wraparound approach with using different professions and getting educators involved and the industry involved as well. And, and I think all of that is the direction in which we need to go further. I think people want to, people want to, um, move this correct direction on, on this topic because everybody wants our, our children to be safer, but I don't think we've necessarily found a way to, to have that global collaboration yet no. that, that works. A lot happens, doesn't it, sometimes, and you just wonder, when you sort of slightly step away, you, you just hope that the momentum keeps going. I mean, for me, I remember leading a, a, a delegation to the First World Congress on the Global Sexual Exploitation of Children that was in Stockholm around about the, <laughs> the turn of the century, you know, 20 years ago. And um, it was very memorable for me because um, I always got made fun of with my name, David Niven, you know, that was the same as the actor David Niven was. And I was introduced at the British Embassy to Roger Moore, you know, the actor Roger Moore, uh, who played James <laughs> Bond. And, 
Um, <laughs> the, the ambassador took great fun in that, you know, and steering her, Roger Moore, David Levin, David, I wanted to do this all night, he said, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and Roger Moore actually had, had been the guest speaker and he was describing how he had a, a, an abusive event himself in his childhood. And he, he had been speaking at the event. And I always felt a great energy then, you know, to be, and I know there's been other world congresses since then, but I've never, I've not been as involved or immersed in it since then. And I just hoped that the momentum kept going. And it's these sort of things you dip in on sometimes, but you can't be everywhere, you know? I just, you don't know if it's carrying on. Agreed, yeah. And one of the things we, that we see in the United States, and this is just my perspective, um, because we are, uh, I'll say states rights, I don't know what the right word is, but we're very, you know, yes, we are the United States of America, but we're also, you know, each individual state sort of independent of one another, all together as a, as a nation. But a lot of things seem to emerge at the state level here in the United States. And so sometimes even domestically or, or nationally within the United States, we, and we're a large country, right? We're spread out. Um, so sometimes we just, I find that we even just have a hard time in the United States trying to, to communicate and collaborate. And so, you know, we're, we're continuing to work on that as an example through our, through the task force, it's a national task force. Um, and so that's really been a great way to collaborate. And then we do, also co collaborate with our federal partners, FBI, Homeland Security, U.S. Mm -hmm. Marshals, um, to, to to do that. And so we're we're getting there, but it's a it's a process. But I agree, David. This is a really an international issue, and um, mm. I do appreciate the work that's happening across the, across the world to to bring attention to this. Can I ask you both? Maybe Donna, you first. I mean, what would you say? I mean, come on, what the biggest challenges are at the moment. Is it money? Is it is it people? Is it um, you know boots on the ground, or or is it mm -hmm. an understanding of technology, or is it parents? You know, I don't know. What where, what would where, where would you put the biggest challenges at the moment? Boy, I think those are all challenges. I think when I started with my introduction here, I ended up doing the cliff notes based on what you guys provided. So I'm nervous to start on this, but <laughs> um, you know, I think that. I think that funding is always a challenge for things like this, just because you need the resources to be able to respond to the things that are happening. Um, but certainly all the other things are, are, are huge concerns too. You know, we're moving into, we're moving into a, a, an age now where our children are being raised by parents that had technology from a very young age. And so the safety side of things is being looked at a little bit differently. Mm. And I think that that, I think it could be positive or it could be negative. We'll have to see which way it goes because they're certainly aware that safety is a concern, um, but how they're going to impart that on their kids and how they're going to um, have those safety measures put in place in the families you know, we have to wait and see what happens with that. So I think, I think for me, just broadly, the biggest concern is trying to get more of this collaborative approach. So, you know, we know we need the law enforcement resources. We know we need to have a parent um, 
you know, the parents need to be having these discussions with their kids. We know there needs to be this educational component for this social emotional learning at school um, and, and, and brought into the idea that kids are connecting virtually a lot. Um, you know, all of this, I think, kind of wraps around, like you mentioned, to this collaborative approach that that could really help us in a lot of the different underlying realms there. Can I, do I ask a question perhaps, sorry, if I wanted to say something, Matt, but just very quickly to see if you would agree with this. In, a, in an odd kind of a way, I'd say one of the biggest challenges that I find the biggest problems is within the sex offenders themselves. Um, that, for, for example, I mean, uh, pedophilia, um, in my view, the nearest that lay people can get to, to describing pedophilia is that it is an addiction. Um, and like all addictions, there, there's no such thing as cure. There's only control because you're going to be feeling that way for, for life. But effectively, um, with, with people who are interested in, in children sexually, um, unfortunately, the, the victim, unlike, say, alcohol or drugs or whatever, is not yourself. It's somebody else. So there not just needs to be self-control. There's got to be social control as well. And social control varies hugely across the world in terms of uh, what restrictions and, and what mandates are put on sex offenders when they're not incarcerated. Um, and I find that an enormous challenge for, for different societies. Um, because as you know, as I said, I don't think self-control is enough for somebody that's interested in children like that. And therefore there has to be very rigorous group uh, enforcement of social controls and that varies hugely. Is that a fair point, would you say? Yeah, I would. And I would also uh, kind of take it a step further in that, well, a couple of things. So in the public safety world, if you will, there's, there's separation, um, you know, law enforcement, courts, corrections, these are sort of independent arms of the pub in the public safety world. And so the law enforcement folks that are, you know, responding to are, are, are doing investigations and arrests, sort of then turn that investigation over and there's a prosecution phase with the courts and then there's the sentencing phase and then there's the correctional side and then sort of what you're mm -hmm. referring to through the mm -hmm. through correctional, mm -hmm. the correctional setting or system. And then ultimately, you know, sort of um, reunification into, I'll say, into society or replacement back into the community. It's other than if there's a some sort of a probationary period or an extended supervision where there's contact with a, a an agent of the government, like a probation agent. Um, other than that, it's, you know, perhaps on the sex offender registry, which folks can look up and, you know, and, and mm. see where, you know, and, there, and there's conditions of that being on that registry that, you know, are, are enforced or enforceable, but you're right. It's, there's not, there's did, some yeah. research or work that's been done, but there's, it's just the, the, I think there's a lot more that, and you're right, David, I agree with what you said. I, I agree with that just from a just from being in this work uh, over a period of time. I haven't done any you know, independent research or anything like that, but I agree with you. And I think there's, there's more that we need to, to, to figure out a better way to, to oh, do this. I definitely this. agree with that, Matt. Yeah. I mean, 
I, I've lived through through phases over the years where there's things like, you know, like there's Megan's Law, you know, okay, community notification that some states in America introduced the chemical castration. There was all sorts of other things, you know, like kind of all life incarceration. Okay, that dealt with it to a certain degree. But I mean, the, 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 the Megan's Law part of it was very emotional, but you had a sex offender who was notified to the community in town X that they lived in. That was great. So he couldn't go out in town X and abuse children because they all knew who he was. But all he did was jump on his bike and go to town Y, you know, overnight, you know, for a visit. And nobody knew him there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it had its flaws. And, and there are projects going on in the UK at the moment with certain um, police forces um, throwing their books open to women, single women, for example, with children who are forming new relationships. And if they wish, they can go and find out if their new boyfriend um, has got a history, um, which of course is is great for the children and I'm all for it. But of course you can imagine <laughs> the, the, the issues to do with trust within relationships when that happens. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, so I mean, you know, there's all sorts of ups and downs going on. There's very little consistency is what I'm trying to say, you know, certainly within the Western industrialized countries and God knows in some of the more third world countries, what happens is, is a bit, I mean, I did work in Sri Lanka and, and, and working with the police forces there many, many years ago. And the best that we could come up with was an enormous, great notice board, a massive, the biggest billboard you've ever seen in your life at Colombo airport got put up that said, welcome to Sri Lanka. If you abuse our children, we guarantee you at least 20 years in horror class accommodation. And I thought, at least that was the Sri Lankan way of doing it. But I mean, everywhere was different. That was that was what I mean, the lessons I learned. Yeah, and I would even say it's it's how things are looked at. So if you if you take a step back from sex offenders and you look at um, so for us, you call it child pornography possession or child pornography offenses or or um, child sexual abuse material. Hmm. You know, we we talk about that as well under this topic because there are still some people that see that as a lesser. Um, I don't know, a lesser offense, I guess, because, you know, it's just images, it's just pictures, but we know that's not the case because these children are being re-victimized every time somebody is viewing those images um, and accessing those images online. So, you know, it's even just how we're viewing that sort of thing. Yeah, no, I mean, I I totally agree. It is an absolutely deep problem. Um, And that's, that's not even, I mean, even on top of all of that, we all know that most most sexual abuse takes place within the family, um, which is, uh, you know, if you layer, it's like lasagna, you know, all these different layers of abusive behavior that, um, that, that has to be taken into consideration. But listen, what about in imaginative ideas and, and things like that and work and education. Do, do you, any of the organizations that you're involved with, whether it's ICAC or whether it's your other things that you're involved with, Matt, or whatever, do, do you get involved with um, educational initiatives? Yeah, the, g- great question, David. Um, and it kind of circles back to your original question or one of your questions about uh, current issues or 
um, pain points, if you will, and budget, yes, resources, yes, equipment, yes, training, yes, um, and education. And so one of the things we've recognized is that, you know, we, we, mess, we can't necessarily control our budgets. Um, you know, we can help influence people who are decision makers and, you know, educate them about this issue and, and the, the resources we need. Um, but one of the things we recognize that we can help control is, is that educational component. And so we have partnered with uh, what's known as the Wisconsin Department of Public Instruction. That is yeah. a state agency that uh, has, I'll say, oversight um, of the, uh, our, our school system here in Wisconsin and uh, provides resources. And so we've partnered with them on some educational kinds of programming. Um, in, including our Interact program. Um, mm -hmm. Interact, it's uh, online uh, e-modules, e courses for folks to take and, and share and learn. Um, so our Interact program, our podcast, quite honestly, David, is something that we created years ago that we, we saw there was a need to get this information out to PK, folks. PKO um, podcast. So, I should have given it a call out. Sorry, PKO podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Yes. Protect Kids Online, PKO yeah. podcast. And it's a good one. And you've been uh, going for a long time. I mean, I do appreciate it. We should have said, oh, talked yeah. about that before. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, we're really excited about it. The energy continues even after, you know, several years, many years, and we're, we're going to keep pushing forward with that programming. We've got to um, just get as much information out to folks in a way that's, you know, convenient um, for everybody. So uh, those are a couple of initiatives. And again, just working with our schools. Uh, one of the things we're, we're kind of looking at here, uh, several states have required education for school-aged children in the mm. schools as part of their school-based curriculum. Um, some of the things that we've been talking about as far as education and awareness for our children, you know, things they can, can do and learn and um, together kind of talk about this issue openly. Um, so mm. we're looking at that as well. So yes, agreed. Okay, look, I'm, I'm I probably, I guess, I don't know, nobody's zapping me yet, but I think we're probably going to be coming to the end fairly soon of our time slot. So why don't we just take a, a little bit of time, each one of us, and sort of imagine you're talking to the whole world and actually say, what messages would you give about the work that you do and the challenges that you see? How about Dana first? Absolutely. Um, so I do a lot of the I do a lot of work with the education and prevention piece. And so I guess I would share messages from that standpoint. And I would say um, just to to keep things in mind, like some of the basic rules that we that maybe some of us grew up with. Right. The idea that the devices don't go behind closed doors and some of those easy ways that we can reduce risk. Um, Maybe it's not having the device, you know, plugged in in the child's room overnight, mm. um, because it's not just it's not just online safety and who they're talking to. It's also online safety in terms of mental health and screen time and, and all of those aspects of it as well. So um, the the primary influencer on changing a child's online behavior is a parent having discussions with them about their online activity. And that's been 
um, shown to be the case. So we just want to encourage parents to be having discussions with their kids about what they're doing online, what apps they're using, how they're interacting when they're when they're in this virtual realm, um, and making that a part of their everyday discussions because our kids' online lives are a big part of um, are a big part of their their overall life now. And so we have to be having discussions about that. So, um, you know, if you can wrap all that into that, that no, topic really. that we initially started with, it's focus on the behavior and not the app. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, um, Matt, uh, a couple of minutes of what you would like to tell the world. Yeah, well, I'll be honest, Dana stole my thunder because I agree. Um, so my message to the world, David, um, is for parents to to stay engaged, get engaged and have these important conversations um, because they are just so important. Um, really, our children um, and our parents, you know, that, that's the the caregivers that the, um, that's the 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 core group if you will that's the i'm not sure how to say this but those are the folks that are together um having important conversations learning from one another um role models etc uh that you know can influence and be influencers and so my message to the world is for you know parents caregivers guardians uh educators you know, we can all, we can all fill this role and play, your part. play our mm. part and have these conversations. Don't, don't shy away from them. We understand the, the subject matter, um, you know, and, and is it, it's difficult. It can be difficult. Uh, you know, people don't, you know, necessarily want to have conversations like this with their children, but they're so important. We have to, it's, yeah. it's, we, we have to. And so, um, that's the message. Don't shy away from it. Let's let's Good. chart a course towards it. Let's have the conversations. Let's let our children know that we're advocates for them. We're here to help them, and um, do whatever we can to to ensure their safety and safety of others. Okay. Well, I would totally agree with what both of you have said. And just as a little caveat, just for me, I would just add: for God's sake, parents, don't be afraid of like taking pictures of your two-year-old in the bath or your four-year-old out in the backyard on a hot summer day cavorting around maybe with no clothes on. But the important thing is, for God's sake, make your social media private. Do not do anything that allows anybody to come and take pictures of your family away, but don't be frightened into never allowing pictures of, of that becomes a great part of family history. Uh, I mean, people get absolutely terrified that things are going to happen, but that's partly because they don't understand how important privacy is, how important it is to keep things within the family. Um, and an awful lot of paedophile rings and an awful lot of things, that's where they get most of their material from, is from people who are very lackadaisical about security. Okay, well, I'm... I'm Really pleased, Dana, Matt, and I'm thrilled that you had the chance to talk to me today. Thank you.